Hello and welcome to the coolest kids. I am one of your hosts, Terrence Wiggins, joined by your other hosts. One of them, Brock Wilbur. There's only two of us, so you would have to be one of them. One part of this is me. <laughs> and joined today by our special guest. Is this where Kyle, I introduce myself? Prompt. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Yes. yes, yes. This is where I introduce myself. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> uh, I am Kyle Gatto. Hello. I love doing that to people, not telling them that I'm not going to introduce them. Because I, I think it's because there's always just like a break of just like. <laughs> Ter- Terrence edits the podcast I do with my wife, and we do that in room with people every week. And uh, we do that same thing, and she never thinks it's funny. And we restart a lot. Uh, and, and then Terrence edits that out. Uh, it's it, it means that I really lean into it now on this show, so I can really get my make the guest uncomfortable right out of the fucking gate uh, here. Uh, and this is great because we have Kyle joining us, and Kyle is one of those people that. Uh, is one of those people that float around in your life uh, like online and you're like that's a friend of mine uh, that not only you don't know where they are but you can't really pin down what they do because they're a jack of all trades Kyle is a concert photographer but also writes about music but also ostensibly does other things Kyle tell people who you are (laughs) god okay so yeah I do a little of everything I flit from um, from games to music and back uh i am a photographer and editor at heavy blog is heavy um and i ran my own gaming website for a while but now i do pr and marketing for small indie games that's cool yay <laughs> i just knew kyle through uh uh holly Yes, uh, I think we Facebook. all have the wonderful Holly Green from Paste Magazine as our yes. as our center point on this on this friendship diagram. And what a center thank, point! Thank you, Holly, it for is. nurturing all of us and for dealing with all of our fucking shit jokes all of the time. Fortunately, we have hey, to deal with her too. Yeah, I was gonna say she does not get away with uh with, with the she is not anything. innocent in this. Guys, I'm being nice. What if she's listening? <laughs> Uh, yeah, this, so you're, you're, what, this is a, when I asked you to be on the show, I was like, what's your emo band? And, and more often than not, we're, we're reaching that point that I'm like, here's a cool person I want on the show that I know doesn't have, like, an emo band go-to, and you were like, well, I don't know why anyone fucking listens to Death Cab when the band Porcupine Tree is out there? Uh, not anymore. Their, uh, Porcupine Tree is on indefinite hiatus. Um, as as a project, I mean, Stephen Wilson is still recording uh, as a solo artist. To be fair, I think most of the bands that we all deeply love, and perhaps the name of this show should be Indefinite Hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I guess that was probably true more for me uh, back when At the Drive-In hadn't reunited yet to come back and record a ska song together. Uh, yeah. That, that, that is, uh, they released an EP on Record Store Day, the only thing I went to Record Store Day for this year, and there is an honest-to-fuck ska song on there. And I'm like, good, it's good that your heroes get back and do some second-wave ska for you. I don't know <laughs> what is happening. <laughs> Honestly, why not? Just, why not? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just actually looking at Facebook the other day, and it was, uh, I was, it was just like, oh, at the drive-in, got back together for... Or they're announcing a tour, and then just after that, I completely forgot like that they were doing anything until I finally listened to that album like a few months ago. Oh right, but yeah, it was like when it's we fine. Did it. Yeah, it's fine. It's a fine album, but uh, 
we're actually we're talking about Porcupine Tree today. We are. Uh, I, I've literally I'd never even heard of this band. Nor until... nor had I, and I think that uh, me and Terrence texted, and Kyle don't mean to spring it on you from the start. Aren't the biggest fans on this one, but <laughs> I can see why uh, because uh, it. It, it calls up all the best parts of other bands, and I think it might be... Maybe this is something to acknowledge just right out of the gate. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day today, and something is fucking weird in the air. I feel like I'm having my weirdest fucking day. Like, just the whole world feels like everything is upside down. So I was uh, getting a, a pedicure, manicure done with my wife today, mm -hmm. a thing I've never done before, and listening to this album and being like, it's possible I'm just not in the right location to totally get this album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like it, it, it is this. It, it's a big prog rocky kind of thing. Uh, in terms of like the this album, like the first song is more than nine minutes long. Uh, but like that doesn't make anything necessarily prog rock because I just listened to American Football for the first time on this show a few months ago, and yeah, long songs don't necessitate not being emo. Uh, Terrence was texting and I think blew it out of the water where he was sort of like this is like if a perfect circle didn't have like a, a lunatic lead singer like this is this is no, a really said, good band. you said <laughs> yeah you said uh, you said that it's like a perfect circle without a crazy person as the lead singer I said it's like uh, a perfect circle and uh, a funeral for a friend had a super group and then I mentioned Dredge, which is a band that no one remembers, except for Terrence remembers not getting into them because it's a bad name. I only have to know it because I had yeah. to be in a band with a guy in high school who was like, we should be Dredge. And I was like, no one knows who that is. Why would we aspire to that? The only reason I know who Dredge is is because I tried to learn how to play guitar when I was younger. <laughs> and I got a, uh, I got a set of, um, of Diodario strings. And they were like, you can get a free poster with some bands on it. And one of the bands on it was Dredge. That's the only reason I know who that band is. <laughs> I'm amazed that they even had string sponsorship. And every band has string sponsorship. Right. <laughs> so, Kyle, make, it, make a case for this album. Because there's, there's so much here that I liked. And, like, uh, it was... It, 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 me and Terrence had this very same moment at the very start of it. There was just like, I'm not sure I'm up for prog rock today. And then around the four minute mark of the first uh, song, like a choir comes in and we're like, ah, there we are. That's, <laughs> that's the thing that we were dreading would happen. And then some of the later songs in the album, like really got me. Like I, 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 I understand what you dig about this. And, and more so I understood your comment about like, what if death crab could, could rock. And I can hear that in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was, I was honestly thinking, I was just like, what if, uh, like, some of the songs had this, like, early Coldplay-ish feel to it, where I was just like, oh, what if Chris Martin decided to do anything with his life besides be uh, mayonnaise? <laughs> All these comparisons are wild, especially considering just how important Porcupine Tree and Stephen Wilson are in the prog scene uh, in general. Um but uh, as far as making a case for it is just like there's so much to unpack with Deadwing alone um, and not just uh, Stephen Wilson's career as a whole just because he's been so embedded in that scene uh, over in Europe. And, and I have for... like some of his other projects because when you brought this up the first time I looked at him I was like oh I know like two of these. <laughs> yeah you mentioned that you knew uh, Storm Corrosion like right out the gate and uh, you're probably familiar with Opeth. Uh, Stephen Wilson and Michael Ockerfeld are super good friends. Oh, I had no idea. Hmm. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was very confused when I went to uh, Google Music and it was like it was like related bands, Opeth, and I was just like, what? Like that doesn't make any 
Yeah, and uh, and Storm Corrosion is uh, a collaboration between uh, Michael Ockerfeld and Stephen Wilson. So I mean, there's there's that, and uh, uh, Michael Ockerfeld also appears on this album as the second guitar solo on "Arriving Somewhere But Not Here." Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. How do you make a case for something that you really love? It's just like here, like love it or don't. Right. <laughs> Uh, I will say when you said that he's like a big name in prog rock, mm-hmm. I will say that this is um, I'm, I'm not a big prog rock fan, mm-hmm. but the way like the way that this kind of does prog rock, but isn't like like I don't know, like it's not like there, there's a lot to this. Like I, prog I, rock, I, I, I speak fluent Terrence. And what Terrence is trying to say is, uh, they did it without doing that thing that everyone hates. <laughs> right. It's like like we we just did uh, Code in Cambria <laughs> right. last week. Okay. And a lot of that uh, that third album is kind of repeating itself over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I feel like a lot of popular prog rock does that, and it's just like, man, I kind of don't have time for this. Uh, and I like I could see what they're. I can understand why you like this album so much if you like prog like if you're a huge fan of prog rock which I'm not so it just didn't hit me in the same way right but this did something different than just like a bunch of uh, a bunch of like keyboard and guitar overlaid overlaid on top of each other well there's I thought you were saying over ladies and I was like (laughs) where were the ladies Terrence I think I missed all the ladies on this album well the problem with prog like in general is that there's so much under that umbrella of progressive music and you're going to find bands like Rush who have that big operatic uh, operatic sound operatic operatic whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) um You'll find them with that huge sound, uh, big choirs. You'll find bands like Queen under that same umbrella uh, in that division. But then you'll find things that are more like keyed towards being dramatic or even melodramatic uh, with bands like Opeth and Porcupine Tree. Um, and going back, like even Death Cab for Cutie touched upon it with Narrow Stairs. Uh, uh, I Will Possess Your Heart is basically like, you know, what if you know they wrote a porcupine tree song and it got on the radio and that's basically <laughs> what uh what that song is and yeah. i kind of laughed when that album came out and it's just like oh this is a great porcupine tree song when i heard it um but uh one of the one of the main things about uh deadwing like as an album is that when steven wilson was writing it he's like okay uh david lynch and stanley kubrick were major influences so their visual aesthetics were key to creating kind of like a soundtrack for that so that makes, that yeah. makes so much sense because yeah, saying, this is what the joshua tree should sound like if it was actually the joshua tree <laughs> as soon as you said david lynch i was like oh this makes so much more sense now yeah, yeah. so you're maybe, gonna maybe we actually needed an introduction to this before we listened to the album and also not to have it be on just this fuck of a day yeah, that, that makes sense. But yeah, so you're going to find a lot of that, uh, I guess, imagery translated into something audible. Um, and some of the other things, like uh, like uh, he, uh, the album after this, Fear of a Blank Planet, Stephen Wilson writes about um, like being on... on uh, what is it like antidepressant drugs and be in like youth and like being depressed and not really understanding and like uh you know yourself and a lot of that angst 
is there. So there's really an emotional side to Porcupine Tree as a project, um, which is still present in in uh, in his music now, but it was very prevalent uh, during this time period. And this album is 12 years, 13 years old now, which is wild to think yeah, about. I was, yeah, I was surprised when you said that. Uh, when I actually looked it up, I was like, 2005. I was like, it didn't kind of sound like a 2005 album. Overwhelmingly, the best things we find on the show are 2005 related, and I feel like this is one of those that'll we'll we'll come to appreciate later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's just I don't. God, I don't know what to say. It's like. uh, So when I was introduced to this album uh, years ago, I actually got mad at it, and I. (laughs) (laughs) So my friend showed me this album. And I'm just like, like the the notes in in Deadwing. I'm just like, wow, this man's just ripping off Led Zeppelin because there's they echo uh, the same chords that Led Zeppelin used in Achilles' Last Stand. But the more I gave this a chance, I'm just like, wow, this is way different than you know. I probably should have given this more of a chance, but at the same time, I was like young and stupid, so. <laughs> I, w- I I would have never put that that chord pressure progression together. Like it sounds. I, I guess I can hear it, but yeah, I would have never. I, I understand getting mad about it, though. <laughs> I'm like this ripoff artist, but like the more the more I understood, and like the more I got into the the prog scene uh, growing up, like Opeth was one of my first bands in that scene. Um, the more I guess I understood. I, I feel like a lot of us in our teenage angst are like, I'm mad about this band ripping off something that 0.03% of the population would recognize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so you, you uh, over at uh, Heavy Blog is Heavy, and, and this is a band that I've seen you write about online before, and uh, it doesn't really fit with our emo thing, but God, they're an important band, and it's a weird time to lose them. It's a Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah. Uh, rest, rest in peace, the greatest live band. They, they really truly are and it's it's one of those things that like I I would have never pegged myself as as the fan of that band but like I caught them a lot when I was living in Chicago uh, and I also watched them go through having uh, a lead singer and then having Mike Patton as their lead singer for a bit which was the best thing that ever happened to anyone and then just watching them be you know, uh, we talk a lot about uh, the band Silverstein on this show because mm-hmm. they just happen to show up as the opening act for every fucking show you've ever been to and right. there was a period in my life where like it just so happened that Dillinger was opening for whoever I was seeing and it really instilled like this real deep fandom in me of them and, and everything that they try to do and how much they change album to album and stuff. And I, there, you you get metal and heaviness in a way that I never will. But I think that Dillinger Escape Plan is one of those bands that is that way that like people outside of that scene can possibly understand it. And they're they're done now. How does that make you feel? And have you written about that? What are your thoughts? <laughs> um, I really haven't written anything about it. I just kind of feel like sad. Like going to going to the final three shows in New York was just like attending a very extensive funeral, and I'm just like, wow, I'm never going to see this band again. And the first time I saw them was like 2013 when One of Us Is the Killer came out, and I really love that album. Uh, I actually interviewed Greg, uh, their vocalist, bef- I guess former vocalist now, um, before that show, and I was wearing a Devin Townsend shirt, and he's like, hey man, nice shirt. And then that year, uh, they did a collaboration on Devin Townsend's Deconstruction album, which was cool. So I'm like, wow, Greg complimented my shirt. 
that's amazing. <laughs> so that they're was a cool. One of the, they're, they're one of those bands that I've seen that like just every single person in that band looks like they've won some sort of uh, weightlifting world record, but they'll also shut down the fucking show if somebody shoves a girl. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I've always appreciated that. Yeah, so uh, Greg and I actually joked about that. Uh, I'm like, how do you stay like fit on tour? And he's like, I just do like push-ups on the bus, and like the shows are you know energetic and whatever. And he's like, whenever I'm doing push-ups, uh, Ben uh, Ben Weinman, their guitarist, he would like walk by and be like, Whoa, did I just feel the earth move? Just like what a what a a stupid joke. Yeah, what a stupid joke, exactly. (laughs) But it's just like like it's it's so bad that you just can't help but laugh. Um But yeah, it's like uh but as far as liking the Dillinger escape plan is I don't really like music like that, the chaos and stuff like that, but like the Dillinger escape plan is like this weird exception. Um and I just I just love that band. And I guess it's just kinda having been to their shows and being kicked in the face um you know as like ben like runs across people's shoulders only to fall on his back and continue playing guitar in the crowd and like having greg jump on your head within the first three seconds of a set it's just like there's something there's just something about it and it's not necessarily the music but i guess the culture around it that just draws you in and you tie and you tie the the memories and like i guess a weird infatuation with the atmosphere and not so much the music itself even though like i wouldn't say that i love all the dillinger escape plan songs but i love them for different reasons and i guess more the association with seeing them live this conversation is not for me i'm just listening <laughs> to what you guys are saying no that's was, fine like <laughs> no, we've taken like, a we've I, taken like, a grand never... departure from prog rock here. <laughs> I mean, I just want to hear like stories of your like working as a um, as a, a band like a band photographer because I've like done video and helped out with photo shoots for bands before, um, but I've never like it's never been something I was able to pursue or ever anything that I've taken seriously. Uh it's not even something that I take seriously either. Like I, I mean, I go to like. You know, I live in the suburbs of Chicago, and I just go to shows, and I make friends, and it's just like, oh, hey, we're friends on Facebook. How are you? And it's just like, uh, like the first time I saw Intervals in 2014, like uh, I was taking pictures of their show, and we met up after the show, and it's like, oh, you're Kyle from Heavy Blog, and I'm like, wow, these people know who I am, and I'm just like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, you know, now it's just casually hang out with these people every time they're in town and i'm like what is this what do i do with this like the the guys from thank you scientists are touring with protest the hero and like i know those guys even though half the band ended up leaving pretty recently um so it's just like it's cool that they're on such a big tour uh, I appreciate this part in the conversation because this is a reminder that the three of us are all very invested in music and i have uh-huh no fucking clue who any of these bands are i've never heard the sounds before i'm pretty sure terrence hasn't either no that... i know i've heard of intervals and i've heard protest here oh, okay god damn it okay so it's just me on this one now i'm the old guy it's okay just so eight. if so if you kind of liked what coheed and cambry were doing thank you scientists kind of do that same thing except they add a brass section and it's more like huh? yeah huh? <laughs> I feel like you've either given me the recipe for my favorite band or a mixture for poison. 
like you're trying <laughs> to murder me. <laughs> but yeah, what, um, if, what if what you liked most about Cursive was their evil twins? Okay, like sure, <laughs> let's hear that. <laughs> but no, actually, uh, thank you, scientists toured with Coheed a f- couple of years ago when they were doing the In Keeping Secrets tour where they were mm-hmm. playing that album in full uh, because last year they were doing um, uh, Good Apollo Part 1 mm-hmm. I yes. couldn't imagine sitting through <laughs> that show I knew it was coming I knew it was coming from Terrence <laughs> because that album I don't have to say se- it <laughs> that album is 76 minutes long <laughs> They they not like, o- they went, not only played the whole album but they did three encore songs. <laughs> like I went and saw uh, I went and saw Under Oath. Um, like, now that's a live show. That's a fucking live show. They do. They've they've always put on a good show. Whenever I've seen, yeah. them. I've never heard this. They just came through town, and I was jokingly telling Terrence I was going to go see them. I didn't know that they do like a really good ass show. Is that true? <laughs> they uh, they've they've always put on a good show. Whenever I've seen them, but when I saw them, they were playing uh, their. First two albums when Spencer joined, um, because they have like pre, like pre Under Oath as you know it Under Oath, which is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they played they played their first two albums, and but it was only them and um, what is the name of the band, Caspian. Uh, so it was only uh. two bands. So it was still like you got out of the show at like ten o'clock. Yeah, but like. I can't imagine going like going to a Coheed show for seventy six, like because sh- shows aren't just. It's not like you just show up to a show, they play music and you leave. It's like you show up to a show, you have like thirty minutes to 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 forty five minutes of waiting around for the band to play. Maybe there's there's usually like two or three openers, and then the main band plays. So I couldn't imagine. Yeah, uh, I, like especially now, like I'd just be like, I have to, I have to go home. Like I can't, I can't do this. Yeah, I know. I'm, I've, I reached that point a while ago, but I still do it for certain bands. It's just like God, I'm tired, and it's just like God, I wish this set was over. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, like I went to so many shows in like my late teens and early twenties, and then like after I hit like. 24 i would say uh-huh. like it was just like it was kind of like seeing the same bands over and over again i was just like eh, i'm tired of standing up like why aren't there chairs out can i sit down and so listen? so so terrence has heard about this and and i get to share it with you kyle fantastic uh i just moved to kansas city a couple mm-hmm. of months ago and already i'm like all the bands come through here uh but like they're at micro venues compared to what I was used to mm-hmm. so Death from Above 1979 came through they, they've been my favorite band for the years for years but now like they're outed as like being part of the Proud Boys so it's like well fuck them I bought my ticket but I'll never buy another album or anything else right so uh, even in Kansas City their venue went from like a 1,000 person venue to like a 200 person venue and I went that night and took a friend from uh can't say that I just met and he's like I don't know this band I was like I can't my wife's not gonna come she knows she knows the <laughs> secret uh, and we went and there even in like a 200 person venue there were so few people there 
that I grabbed a stool from the bar and set it right in front of the stage and sat down, and no one had a problem with that. In the mosh pit of a Deaths from Above 1979 show, and then I like watched them work their own like merch table before and after the show, and I was like, wow, it turns out you can fall like so fucking fast. Yeah, yes, <laughs> but you can. as an adult like, man that wanted you... to watch them see like to see the whole show, I was like, wow, if I could just pull a chair right up front, like the oldest crotchetiest person in the punk scene at 33, sure, let's give this a try. Fall from grace. (laughs) That is amazing. Good lord. Now, now it's it's funny that you bring that up, because I remember I think their vocalist put out a statement and they're not like members of the Proud Boys, but they're like they're like this guy that they knew and uh, it's, uh, it, it's it's their, it's their like, bass player, and he's yeah. been friends with Gavin McInnes for forever. And it makes okay. sense. Gavin started Vice. He's one of the co-starters of Vice, and now right. he's a stand-up comedian, but also a proud boy. Okay. I think we, you know what? Let me lead with proud boy on that. Uh, <laughs> and and their bass player's like, you know what? I'm also mixed racial, and I'm like, calling me a racist is weird. But also, he's been on Gavin's podcast and especially talking about stuff about, like, Trump and Brexit has just said really insanely racist things. That's fair. So, like, that (laughs) night at that concert, their, like, promoter tour manager was trying to also pull me aside and be like, this is all fake news. And I'm like, you're making it worse right now. (laughs) Don't call it fake news. (laughs) Don't just keep trying to insist. Like, I know... And I'm here, and, and, like, it, it was actually a weird thing, and I was texting Terrence through it a little bit where I was like every part of journalist me and the me that's loved this band for forever and nearly got their goddamn tattoo uh it wants to walk up to them now working at their merch booth right now to just be like explain yourself but like i I don't (laughs) need to like i've i've heard and like i know and who gives a shit like it's it's fine like if they that thing with them had happened a couple of months earlier and the tour Mm -hmm. manager was still trying to explain to me like they're gonna do a thing that's gonna like you know encourage uh minority or something like that like it was just this nonsense phrase about like they're gonna fix something i was like but why wouldn't you just come out like right away and be like hey i'm just super not a nazi like i don't know how to not not do that thing first right (laughs) yeah um yeah trying to trying to be like trying to defend yourself in like the most obtuse way instead of just (laughs) being like instead instead of just distancing yourself from Gavin McInnes, yeah, or whatever the fuck his name is, yeah. Um, like, what, what, what do you, what do you hope to accomplish? Just like I'm a rat. You're just gonna come to somebody like, hey, listen, I'm a rational person. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't, you can't just tell somebody I'm a rational person without somebody being like, okay, no, like this isn't, this isn't a person I can talk to ever, 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 ever. <laughs> My new character I'm going to play with you uh, on on Twitter is is called Rational Brock, and Rational Brock <laughs> is going to at you with some things, uh, and and you should drag him. You should drag him so hard. Uh, it's just a, it's just that whole thing of like not defending yourself, but also defending yourself, but not talking about the thing you're defending yourself about. So it's which this gets this gets back into what we were talking to you about, Kyle, about like like sort of befriending these these bands. It's sort of amazing how easy it is to be friends with a band and for a band to be like, oh, what we do all day is push ups and drink beer, and uh, never be racist or sexually assault anyone. Like it's so easy to be a band. <laughs> I don't know why more bands aren't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
like Kaylee, you'd hope, uh, you'd hope, but unfortunately, that's not the case for everyone. Yeah, like every time something comes out from like the smallest band that you've heard that's like in your hometown to like the biggest band, every time something comes out, it's just like this guy has been like doing some shady shit. I'm just like, of course, like, duh, it's a <laughs> band. It's like it's like it's weird to have that i that uh that sort of attitude about it but it's just like have you hung out with any bands ever of course like like musicians are treated like it doesn't matter like if they have local local favor like they can get away with shit and it's and it really upsets me that uh a lot of bands are like that and when you said the the Dillager escape plan they just point out people just like hey knock that shit off that makes me me feel good but it also makes me afraid of other bands not holding up that uh that sort of banner yeah um which brings me to another point how do you guys feel about separating the art from the artist like i know that's a very complex i know that's a comp that's a complex (laughs) issue and we've talked about it extensively on heavy blog but i wanted to get your i guess micro perspective here Well, you're the guest um, here. People have heard ours before. You start with what you said on heavy, uh, and and we'll we'll tell you where we weigh in from there. <laughs> uh, personally, case by case basis. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as simplistic as I can get because it has to be case by case. <laughs> yeah, because well, you just kind of blanket everything, then you're missing out on everything. Yeah. What I like is I I have appreciated Terrence's because we have a podcast named after a band that is being called out. We had new art commissioned based on the artwork of a band that's being called out. And mm-hmm. Terrence has repeatedly been like, this album and their music and the the experiences I have belong to fucking me. And if that guy's a piece of shit, like, I'm not going to go see him anymore. But like, that doesn't mean that I don't own these things. And I was like, that's, I guess, all you need to say, especially when you're not directly involved in any way with the thing. At the same time, like, you know, today was the day that Rebecca Hall uh, announced that she starred in a Woody Allen film and she's donating all the money from being in that Woody Allen film because she's like, you know what, I've come around and, and that's probably the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, uh, I've talked to Brock about this before. I, I may, we may have even talked about it on the show, but it's just like people, people kind of uh, call you out on a thing that you're not involved with because you like a thing that someone awful made and I've been I've been black for 30 years Mm -hmm. and a lot of shitty racist white people have made things that I've liked like I have to live in this country which was founded by shitty racist people Mm -hmm. so like if I have to give up everything that was made by a terrible person then we wouldn't have anything that's fair, uh, and 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 you know it's been a, a, a this is this is a uh, very specific this week one. Uh, Dushku came forward to say that when she was a teenager, she was working on the film True Lies, and the stunt coordinator sexually abused her as a teenage girl. Uh, and I was reading about this uh, while me and Viv were at the gym together. And what was on the gym TV? It was True Lies, a film I've not seen on TV in like a decade. And I was like. I'm sure it's probably on on every TBS channel all of the time. Uh, that that makes sense to me. Uh, but we had this conversation today about it, where I was like, you know, I've been wanting uh, wanting to rewatch True Lies for a while now. But like, does that make this weird? And so we got into that conversation that's sort of about like, there's also this art artist disconnect, but there's also this now 
do you disconnect the work of the stunt coordinator from what the film was, but also the actress that you're seeing performing, you now know what she was having to go through emotionally to give that performance because of like a behind the scenes person. So it gets into the same sort of thing as like talking about like, what the fuck is wrong with Max Landis? But he's also just a screenwriter. Like, uh, right. These things are so weird in the film industry and it feels like music is where they're so direct because music is a direct line. That's the singer songwriter standing up there. Like if anything, I, I was going to say if anything came out about Connor Oberst, but then again, it did two years ago. And then that woman had to apologize for making it up. Like, the, you know, there's, there's so much in music that, that it would be inseparable. There's no way to do that here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, somebody. So I have a villain. I have a, I have an arch villain, <laughs> an arch nemesis in the video game industry. Mm-hmm. And his name is David Cage. <laughs> and, uh, Kyle knows, right? Kyle, you know, David Cage. <laughs> uh, Kyle, Kyle, do you know how much he hates David Cage? I, I would say I have an idea, but I probably have no idea. He is, he is the preeminent <laughs> scholar on fuck David Cage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say I would say that you probably hate David Cage as much as I hate Bioshock Infinite as an entity. <laughs> uh, Kyle, welcome to the table. Uh, yeah, that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I liked Bioshock Infinite when it came out. Yeah, wrong. Like this is before <laughs> like I kind of got involved. And like, sort of thinking politically about things, mm-hmm. and I st- like, I still think the like Booker getting his daughter back is a good enough story. But like the rest, like when you look at the rest of it, mm-hmm. it's just like, wow, this sucks a whole lot. Um, from a story perspective, anyway. from a game design perspective, that game yeah. is a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone uh, can come at me. Find me on Twitter. No, come I, at me if you disagree. No, <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, I like I, every time I think about playing it again. I'm just like, eh, no, here. Here's okay. a point in time that I should share that uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I uh, dated a girl, and her father uh, was Ken Levine, and her her father Ken Levine was the Ken Levine that like created Cheers and Frasier, not the Ken Levine that worked on Bioshock, and he was just figuring out like Google alerts, and he was like, my God there's all these people saying that I'm an asshole on the internet today. What is that about? And Holy I was like, fuck. Oh, Ken Levine. I have some things to explain to you about Ken Levine. Did you tell him? Well, you know, sometimes you gotta go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> uh, anyway. Terrence, so, that was bad. That was horrible. <laughs> Calling you out now. Uh, so, uh, yesterday, uh, we're recording on Monday the 15th, Yesterday, Sunday the 14th, a story came out in French newspapers that was uh, translated into American. Which, like, which could only come out on Sunday in English. France. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it came out on Sunday in France like in like four different newspapers that I saw online. Um, and like some people translated uh, that there is a whole bunch of shit going down at David Cage's studio. Um, and my whole point was if there's smoke there's fire and he's been billowing smoke for 20 years uh and so yesterday i saw uh, somebody linked it on uh one of my friends linked it on facebook and this guy was like he was like just because he does it in game doesn't mean he does it in real life i was just like okay yes you can say that but also when somebody calls somebody out for the stuff that they've been putting in their art 
that is happening and and they and they say this is happening in real life like it's kind of a one-to-one correlation like when louis (laughs) ck put stuff in his bit about like being weird towards women uh that was true and like i don't like like the guy was trying to argue that point and it's just like there are real world examples like uh uh woody allen made a movie about trying to date a teenager like what do you which one what is <laughs> our, our, a, a guest that we've had on the show before zach Heltzel, uh we've talked about this before uh, uh, him and i and he has a a theory that is like everyone that's actually bad like really telegraphs it so it's like Aziz Ansari's book is fucking atrocious. All of CK's work is this thing. Uh, And we got into that discussion because uh, people started asking the question like, hey, who would you have to have revealed, like specifically in the comedy world, that would actually like destroy you if you found out? And I was like, Mike Birbiglia, because Mike Birbiglia uh, has done like four storytelling shows about his personal life where he's admitted the worst thing he ever did was once cheat on a girlfriend by making out with a Hooters waitress in a parking lot. And like, if something worse than that came out about him, like that's the that's the foundation of who he is. Mm-hmm, like, right. you would need that. And so, uh, it, it was with that in mind that, like, I think I'd just been talking to Zach about that, uh, and then I saw this David Cage stuff, and I was just like, David Cage. If you called out David Cage right now for like something sexual against animals, like that's not off the table. Like there's so much smoke, it goes into all these places that like it it, it would be it is it is impossible to think that there is not just a terrible terrible thing that will happen before we re- release this episode uh, right. regarding this guy that Terrence has just notoriously hated, and I. I don't, I don't, no one ever wants to do the, like, hey, it's a fuck that guy day, are you having a parade, but I did text Terrence to see if he was having a parade, and I was like, <laughs> you know, you've written professionally, you've been, you've been paid to write about fuck this guy, because of right. everything, and, and, like, there's, yeah, I don't, I, I uh, he had, uh, Helen, uh, Ellen Page in a movie, Ellen Page. Uh, in a, a movie game, sort of, I don't know what you call what they made. Uh, but they uh, it's uh, uh, it's called bullshit. It's called bullshit. It's a game, but they they managed to create her entire naked teenage body within the game and you can <clears> easily <throat> access it. And that's been part of this. And I thought that I, I didn't know until we got on the air right now that there was that much more coming. I thought it was just sort of this thing that was like, why would that even fucking happen? Like, even in the days of like hot coffee GTA mod, no one was going right. that far. And this is with a name actress. Like, why? Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's had, he's had like weird stuff in his like this is in the credits of I guess his first like mainstream game like he had he had a game before Indigo Prophecy uh, that nobody talks about because it's hot garbage. What is but, it? Uh, uh, Omicron the Nomad Soul. That is the game with David Bowie in it. Um, Holy shit! Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. David Bowie was in a David Cage game, and it was the first Quantic Dream game, and it shit. <laughs> it, Bo- it is Bowie and Cage would have been a great name for a game, though. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will send you uh, one of my favorite uh, YouTube channels did a let's play of it, and it goes on for a while because <laughs> that game is impossible. Uh, like it goes on. It goes on so long that you can you can actually hear them like start to break down like psychologically because it's so bad and it's so impossible to control. Oh my um, god. But at the end in the credit sequence of 
Indigo Prophecy, there is a... Well, first, when you start Indigo Prophecy, David Cage talks to you like a, a, a polygon model of David Cage talks to you about what kind of game it is. Like, he comes out and tells you about the game. He gives you a tutorial on how to control the game. Not just, like, the game explaining, but David Cage being in the game explaining. So his model is already in the game. So. No. You get to the. No. You get to, <laughs> you get to the end game credits, and there is his CGI model dancing with the female protagonist. One of the, there's three protagonists, uh, protagonists, protagonist, protagonists, <laughs> uh, uh, and one is a lady and she's in her underwear and he's dancing with her. Like that's, that's weird. That's real weird. That is real weird. <laughs> can you, can you imagine what would happen if Tim Schafer had done that? <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, David Cage is... It's just me dancing with Sasha. It's fine. This is just how game makers exist. We get naked right. with our characters. Right. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's an auteur, though, so it's it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I honestly uh, don't trust anyone that labels themselves or is labeled an auteur. Like, right. just fuck all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a you, there's definitely who, this. Uh, Kyle, who is your the first person that comes to mind when somebody says auteur? I would probably say David Cage also. Oh, I, I, yeah. I outside of games. Outside of games, oh, yeah. um, probably Kubrick or Lynch. I know we talked about them earlier, but yeah, them. My, mine is always this. It starts with Tarantino, who I don't particularly like. Okay, and, but it is either. It, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. It that's is, fair. It is that very. I, I like this idea that auteur should mean in French, a oh, fuck them. <laughs> uh, um, Brock, you had put something on Facebook uh, last week about um, C- Tucker Max. Fuck. Yep. Um, <laughs> and like some people, people like were coming. Some people were like kind of defending, just like, oh, he he's not actually working on the book, and it's just like he said he's the ghostwriter for this. Uh, for um what's her name um tiffany haddish yeah yeah uh who is a rising black star that the black community is supporting for the first time in the way that they should be supporting a rising black female comedy star and i cannot think of a quicker way to shoot yourself in the fucking kneecap yeah um yeah so Tucker Max is like is like ghostwriting her book and people are like well he's he's known for making uh like uh, for knowing how to tell outlandish stories and stuff like that. I was just like, you could get anybody to do that. You do not need to drag Tucker Max out of the muck that he's been, like, swimming around in for the last, I don't know how many years. You know uh, who's writing J-Lo's new book? It's Brett Easton Ellis. Brett Easton Ellis, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's that's who's gonna tell this story. But it's just... You don't... Like, there's there are plenty of people out there that aren't, excuse me, that aren't garbage yeah. that you can, you can like pay attention to. Like you don't have to just because somebody made a thing you like, yeah, or is is like this auteur. Like you, no, you don't have to. You there's nothing. There's no like bylaw that's just like you have to listen to them because they're they're an auteur. Uh, and and that was. Uh... You were, <laughs> I did post that on Facebook, and I never went back into the Facebook comments because a uh, a person that was in there 
who engaged in a bloody three-day Facebook battle with me over uh, whether or not 30 Seconds to Mars was fronted by a good human being uh, led the charge oh. there. Uh, and I was like, is, is this really the hill you want to die on? What uh, a terrible hill to die on. And, and uh, she was like, well, you know, Tucker Max can have a redemption story. Like, he, he, he's written these things. And I was like, here's the tweet where he announces it. And even the tweet itself has, like, a, a, a joke transgender thing in it. And she was like, oh, well, fuck him. And I was like, oh, hey, you and I, two people that should have unfriended each other years ago. <laughs> we have found <laughs> a common place here in agreeing fuck Tucker Max and that maybe my statement on this was okay. And I'm not, I'm, I, I cannot be the person that says that people cannot have a redemption arc and people can do better, but that person is not Tucker Max and there is no yeah. reason. It is, it is such a fucking weird thing to be like, I am a rising African-American entertainment star that like, I, me and Viv went to see... It is weird for you to say we that. We went to see Girls Trip, and, like, she, Tiffany Haddish steals that movie, but it is also a fucking insanely funny movie. Like, it's maybe the most I've laughed in the theater in five years. And we were just like, that person is about to, like, fucking rule the world. And then to see her be like, you know, who should write my book? Tucker Max, the guy from yeah. I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. And it's just like, this is otherworldly. Why would you do this thing? Truth is truly stranger than fiction. <laughs> can can the meat industry hire Morrissey to write their new ads? <laughs> yeah, I, I, Kyle, I feel like we. I feel like you brought this up because you must have somebody in mind here. Is there somebody in music that you see that needs a redemption arc right now, or somebody that you have been like very personally let down by recently? Uh, God, no. Myself on the daily basis, I suppose. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, uh, nobody, nobody immediately comes to mind. That's just like, wow! I really hope they can pull themselves up, because you know, people are gonna do what they do, and you know, <laughs> ho hopefully, they become better after the fact. Um, but that's not always the case. Yeah. The thing that the thing that gets me is that people hoping for a redemption arc for somebody who's constantly proved themselves to be a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Like it's not it's not that it's not that they did like one bad thing and then like ask for forgiveness. It's that they have a like a a a, a continuous track record. It's just like <laughs> it's like the, the the train from a Snowpiercer uh -huh. full of bad <laughs> ideas. <laughs> And it's just been running around the world for years. Oh, and Soul like, Piercer? <laughs> and it's just like, like, they're just like, like the train is just like, like killing people over and over again. And they're just like, it's going to, it's going to get there. It's fine. They'll do fine. Yeah. It's right. just like, why would you ever believe that? Like, I can believe it for certain people, but like when somebody is just garbage for so long, like there, it's not gonna be a one turnaround thing. Like I, it's not gonna happen. What are we talking about? What is the show about? Um, hey Kyle, yeah. what are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? A lot of Overwatch, but I just bought a Nintendo Switch for a great price, and it should be here on Wednesday. I fucking love the Switch. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's uh, my friend. I bought it off my friend, and uh, <laughs> they are sending me uh, Zelda, and I'm probably gonna pick up. 
See, but I already played Horizon, so I don't think I don't really yeah, feel but, a need to play Zelda. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, Kyle. the better game. <laughs> Kyle, like I played. All right, so when Horizon came out, I like I had already pre-ordered my Switch and everything, mm-hmm. and pre-ordered Zelda with it, and I loved Horizon. Like I I played through Horizon all the way through, but I had uh, like Horizon came out like the week before Zelda and the Switch came out, so I played a whole bunch of Horizon. Then I started playing Zelda. Then I tried to play Horizon again, and I was just like, this isn't... See, <laughs> like, this- I, I had a Switch temporarily. I bought one, and then my friend uh-huh. bought it from me. And I had played uh-huh. Zelda for probably about 10 or 12 hours. And I'm like, this uh-huh. is fun. But when I played Horizon, it hit me in such a way. I'm just like, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And like at the end of it, I was just sobbing. And like it just didn't hit me the same way. I don't like I've heard people say that before, and it just it just did not hit me the same. I don't know what it is. It's honestly one of the greatest pieces of science fiction I've ever taken in. Do really like the story? Yes, I thought the story. uh, What made me excited about the story is that I was getting close to the end, and I was I got frustrated with it, Mm -hmm. and I got frustrated with the main character. Right, and then like when everything sort of like fell into place at the end. I was just like, oh, like I, I kind of, ha- I had the same sort of relief I had when I first read uh, Watchmen. Right. Where I was just like, <laughs> when you get to like the the last, the second to last chapter of Watchmen, and you're just like, what is like somebody better give me an answer about anything. <laughs> that's fair. Um, no, that's fair. But yeah, I can see um, why people wouldn't like it, but it also kind of hit the hit the ticks where I'm like, I'm a huge Monster Hunter guy, so like mm. killing things that are much bigger than I am is super mm. fun. Mm-hmm. So hey, hey, yes. I, come on! Yes. <laughs> oh yes, just because uh, you're very tall, so I apologize if I <laughs> if I pantomime Shadow of the Colossus with you. <sighs> uh, I think Zelda hit me a lot more because I'm not a big Zelda fan. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't care about Ocarina of Time. Like, like even I played it when it came out, and it still didn't hit me in the same way that. Like, I've only had a few Zelda games, actually, like, sort of, like, Wind Waker and uh, Link's Awakening on the on the original Game Boy, uh-huh. like, were the two that hit me, but, like, Breath of the Wild, just, like, like, I don't, like, chopping down a tree and stopping time, <laughs> like, stopping time on the tree and then hitting the tree a bunch so that it launches off into the distance, like... <laughs> It, I don't know. There's just like stupid stuff in that game where it's just like this shouldn't work, but they programmed it into the game for you to be able to do it. Like I, there's a puzzle where you have to get electricity from one part to another part, and there's like electric, bo- like there's like metal boxes that you can lay down to like sort of maneuver around. Mm-hmm. You could do it like that, but also you could just take the metal weapons that are in your inventory and put them on the ground and link them together so that it just creates the link that way, like. It's just like the game gives you this freedom to kind of progress how you want to, and and I also love the story a lot of just like the world the world ended, but you still have work to do. So let's go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> which which is also like the same feeling I got from Horizon, and uh, I mean there's there's games I mean Fallout to an extent, uh, but I like I don't feel like Fallout had the same hope. As Breath of the Wild and Horizon did, mm-hmm. um, but I, it's I don't know. I Br- Horizon is a very good game. I I actually wrote a list of uh, top twenty PS4 games, and Horizon is on that list. As it uh, should be. You should definitely play Horizon. 
is a very good game, but it did, it like, after... It was just like the controls did not hit me the same way that uh, Breath of the Wild did. And that's understandable. Like, I, I can very deeply appreciate the freedom that Breath of the Wild gives you and, like, the way it, I guess, enables people to channel their creativity even within the constraints of the game. I think that's mm-hmm. clever. It's like, hey, you have these devices. What do you know about how things work? Now apply those things that you know and see if that works here. Yeah, <laughs> I think I yeah. think giving people the tools and seeing what they can do with that is cool. Um, and I've been playing uh, Divinity: Original Sin too, mm-hmm. and it has that same sort of feeling of just like, all right, so will this thing work? Yes, it did work. Uh, like I've been playing with a friend too, so uh, so it's just like, well, uh, if I use this Earth attack, it'll spread oil on the ground, and then I can use fire to to uh ignite it use fire to catch the oil on fire set the enemy on fire then you can drop uh rain over the area and that creates smoke which makes them harder for us to see that i can send a rogue in and she can backstab the shit out of the guy and we could be done in one turn the fact that that works is freaking cool (laughs) yeah it's a it's a really amazing game um and i i like it feels like the kind of game i always wanted as a kid like you know you would play a game and you were just like, man, I wonder what's on this other side. Like playing Pokemon, where people are just like, if you if you push the boat, you got Mew under there. And that's what games are starting to feel like. Right. Where it's just like, you can push the boat now because something is going to be under there. You just have to figure out in the game mechanics what's going to let you get under the boat. I, I like that analogy. I like that analogy. <laughs> Brock, what have you been playing? This podcast. Oh, this. There he is. <laughs> uh, if you wanna, if you wanna know a lot about Kingdom Hearts, just follow me on Twitter because I'm playing through all of those right now. Yeah. If you I, wanna know what will make your wife buy the Kingdom Hearts series and get you started down that road, just follow Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> Did she buy it? Yeah, it's on the PlayStation, waiting for us to Kingdom Heart. <laughs> and especially like I think she saw all the cute stuff you posted and none of the stuff about how like it's been two days at this boss fight and I slipped my wrists I'm just like oh she doesn't understand <laughs> the darkness awaiting her and the difficulty that's coming it's fine <laughs> it, it's it's really just the first one like uh, the second one does a lot better job of like of ma- making it better it's significantly like, better in every way yeah I've heard people say that Kingdom Hearts 1 is the better game, and I'm just like, it's not the better game in any sort of capacity. Like, 2 has a better story, a better gameplay, more stuff to do. Like, it has more variety. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> anyway. Uh, also watched the... They had included the DS game as a movie. They kind of, like, cut it into, like, a like a two-and-a-half-hour movie. And holy shit, is that the sad, one of the saddest games I have ever seen in my life. Uh, because, which one is that? Is that Dream Drop Distance? Uh, 358 over two days. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, it's basically... So, Brock, there's... Uh, in Kingdom Hearts, the concept of... of Like, there, like hearts is, like, an actual, like, concept in the game. Like, it's, like, sort God of like energy. It. And, like, a, it's sort of like a soul. Okay. Like, uh, just think of heart as soul, like, in that concept. And if, if, you, if you die and your, like, will or, like, soul is powerful enough, your body... Your heart... And your body will separate, and you'll become a nobody. Like your your heart, your body literally doesn't have a heart anymore. Like that sort of soul in it. 
And so nobodies aren't supposed to exist. Like the game tells you this. And the whole point of this game is that you play as a nobody and the, the they make and then like the organization organization you're part of like makes a nobody that you befriend but she is like her your her whole destiny and your whole destiny is that you're supposed to die basically like it's like extremely like when you and then you make friends with one of the guys and he shows up in Kingdom Hearts 2 and it, I'll have you just have to play it like and see the whole. <laughs> this story. is the exact reason so I gave up. Yeah, this is the exact God, reason I gave up playing up. Kingdom Hearts. Like after Kingdom Hearts two, I was done. <laughs> I, okay. I haven't played. Well, I haven't played anything since two. So like I've like it's like it answered a bunch of questions that I had about two, and I was just like, oh, I really wasn't expecting them to answer that, uh, which was kind of refreshing. Um, uh, seeing as it a, a Tetsuya Nomura game, and he. Uh, has been dragging out Final Fantasy VII for the past 25 years. Mm -hmm. So that's um, Porcupine Tree. Yes. That's Porcupine Tree. Ta-da! Uh, we did it. This we has been my video game podcast. <laughs> we, did. <laughs> we did Porcupine Tree, and we, I think we did it right and in the way it deserved. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a good episode, Andrew. This was fantastic. We, Thank you so much, Kyle. Wasn't a, even if it wasn't about the album. But we did talk about the album. We talked about some other stuff, but it was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. Uh, Thank you. Kyle, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Kyle Gatto. That's just my name. Uh, K-Y-L-E-G-A-D-D-O. That's that's the only place right now. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Good. Brock, where can we find you on the internet? At Brock Wilbur and in the podcast, Missouri Loves Company with me and Vivian Kane. <laughs> it makes you so mad and it makes me love you <laughs> uh, and you can find me at the black nerd on twitter and various other sites uh, just uh, oh things. also get his goddamn cookies your cookies are delicious <laughs> if squirrels don't eat them yeah um, so, okay so some squirrels ate some of them and I ate around what the squirrels <laughs> ate and the cookies were still good <laughs> order Terrence's cookies and don't have squirrels. The it's just don't, two ways to live your life. <laughs> get, get a get a falconer to protect your uh, cookies. That's a callback to a thing that's not in the episode anymore, Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, make sure it's Will Forte. Um, that's an old Saturday Night Live bit that hasn't been on the air in ten years. Uh, anyway, uh, Kyle, thank you so much. Uh, as always, find us on uh, find our show on Twitter at Coolest Kids Pod and review our show on iTunes because it definitely helps with uh, visibility. And we have gotten some reviews. I saw we have like five five star reviews, which is really neat. Um, so thank you so much for that. Uh, I've got nothing else to say. So we are the coolest kids, and we take what we can get. Goodbye. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> <laughs>